RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Welcome to RPG Lessons Learned. This is Brian. Uh, with me this week, I have Dusty. Hey, Brian. And I think Mike is still here, too. I am. Hello. Hey, so uh, if you noticed, it's a little weird. Brian's starting off the show. That's because uh, prior to recording episode, I almost say 85, this will be episode 86, I happened to ask Dusty in a, you know, just a, a funny way that, hey, could you like tell me how you uh, run this RPG for Margot? Because uh, I'm trying to, you know, get my kids into uh, into this whole RPG thing. If nothing else, figure out how math applies to their daily life in, in some, you know, weird uh, way. Just it, try to make something educational. And Dusty's like, well, let's make it an episode. And I'm like, well, that is a great idea, Dusty. You're such a smart man. <laughs> so, so Dusty, like seriously, um, you know, I, I've got the foster kids. They're uh, one's almost eight, one's almost seven. Uh, by the time this posts, uh, the birthday for one will be like next week. So she will be seven. They'll both be seven at the same time. It's so weird. Uh, but yeah, I, I really want to get the kids into RPGs. One is something that we can share together, and two, they love math. But they haven't. It hasn't quite clicked to them uh, or with them on how math applies to their daily life. Uh, right now, it's just oh, I can add numbers together, but you know, not that those numbers necessarily reflect certain things. And I'm trying to teach them some math that's outside of the um, their grade level, just because they they they're so smart when it comes to math. And uh, I just want to try to make them think that math is fun. So and you know, also open up. Uh, the whole worlds of imagination to them that uh, they currently don't have because right now they're just pretending that they're Shira and Catra, and that's that's all well and good for now. But you know, I'm I'm kind of sad trying to play pretend Hordak with them. So if I can be their DM or their GM, that would be great. Yeah. So let's talk about several games that I've played with Margo. First of all, um, we Margo and I have played World of, World of Dungeons that. Uh, that apocalypse world slash dungeon world hack where you roll 2d6 and there's those scales of success you know one to six is just consequence seven to nine is a success and a consequence and then 10 and above is a success with no consequence and you have a couple of stats that you modify your role with you know your strength your dexterity your wisdom your charisma etc and we've that's what we've been playing lately did you happen across that, or was this trial and error, or how did you we, land on World of Dungeons with Mark? Trial and error. We, we, uh, that's not where I'd start. Where I would start, if I were you, is what I first did with Margo. The very first role-playing game that I did with Margo is, okay, so you know those, those Fidal Publishing, P-H-I-D-A-L, those My Busy Books, where you buy the book, you open it up, it's got 12 figurines from... Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so Cars or Thomas the Train or Impossibles, uh, Impossibles, Incredibles, Incredibles, Incredibles. Impossibles. Wait, that was a topographic scheme. (laughs) (laughs) 
The Incredibles. Um, well, we had a bunch of Justice League ones, and it, this was at a time when Justice League and Justice League Unlimited were both on Netflix, and Margot consumed those shows eagerly and really wanted to tell stories about DC superheroes. So the very first role-playing game that we played, and we played this, gosh, dozens of times, I would just grab a D20, and we would grab the all the characters that we wanted to play with, and I was the bad guys or guy, and she was the good guys or guy, and we just rolled a D20. And the very simple rule was, if it's a two-digit number, you succeed. If it's a one-digit number, you fail. So any roll has a 55% chance of success because 11 to 20 is 50%, so it's actually 10 to 20, that's 55%. So 55% of the time you're succeeding. It's really easy to tell a two-digit number from a, from a one-digit number. So even for the younger ones, it's, it's super-duper easy. There's not multiple dice to keep track of. There's no addition. It's just simple stuff. And here's how I control difficulty, Brian. If it was Superman and Lex, and Margot is controlling Superman, and she says, Superman punches Lex, I say, great, roll. And she rolls a nine, she misses. And I, I describe something funny happening, you know, Superman overshoots and runs into a building and punches a hole in it, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, I have Lex attack Superman. And the way I control difficulty is I just never tracked hit points. Even if Lex succeeded, Lex succeeded in hindering Superman, not stopping him. And if I wanted Superman to get a certain number of successes before I was going to turn the game over, then I controlled difficulty by never letting Lex totally win. And I would purposely have Lex try stuff and make rolls that didn't result in him attacking Superman. He would try to climb something or try to get up on top of something. So I just wouldn't attack her to control difficulty. So just easy, lots of rolling, lots of storytelling. You're mostly telling a story with miniatures the way you would with no dice. It's just that now you're introducing dice to have some success or failure. That's it. So, and Mike, I want you taking part of this as well, because I, I don't think this is just a parent thing. Uh, I think this is a people thing. So, Dusty, Margot, her entire living memory, she can her earliest memories, some of them involve us probably sitting around a table playing 5e or maybe 4e. So she was already exposed to this. Brian, as I sit here talking to you, I am looking at a framed picture of Margot in her high chair behind a DM screen. Yes. That we had put on Facebook with the caption yep. of quote, the littlest DM. I know. So I remember that. So my kids, they are you know, older, not older kids, but, you know, seven and eight. So, and they have no experience with this whatsoever. So do you have any thoughts on what it would, what, what it would take to get an older kid into this or to, you know, uh, pique their interest? Like, is it like, I know that you've gotten, you've gotten Susan to play, right? Didn't you get Susan to play a game that was based on sense and sensibility or something? Uh, yes, uh, Jane Austen game. No, not not since it's, not since it's ability. It was Pride and Prejudice. But yeah, so but you were able to get a, a non gamer into playing this kind of game. Yeah, and that's that's more of a tabletop card game, um, and it's called Marrying Mr. Darcy. We kickstarted it. It's a super fun game. Yeah, I've gotten Susan to game a few times. Uh, a f just a few episodes ago, um, I talked about when we played the My Little Pony game in Fate, and Susan actually played that. 
Um, but by and large, it's not her thing. How would I get an older kid interested? So the ages of your kids, Brian, are seven. Seven and eight. By the time I actually get around to this. Seven and eight. Okay, it's easy. Get the seven-year-old interested, and the eight-year-old will definitely want to take part. Get a bunch of minis out on a table. I'll loan you some of my maps. Lay down a poster map. Lay down just any sort of play mat with the minis, and instantly, here are these irresistible tactile elements. And now if you say to them, well, no, 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 you can't just play with them. We're going to play a game, and now here are some dice. And pick out some really interesting dice. Like I gave Margo, uh, I know it's stereotypical. I'm not trying to reinforce gender roles or whatever. It's what she naturally, truly does like. I gave her this like sparkly, glittery pink D20 that looks like, you know, a bubblegum gumball. Like it, it is hot bubblegum pink with glitter on it. She loves it. Um, she's rolling that D20. I'm rolling another D. Like just make the elements of the game irresistible to kids and kids won't be able to resist them that's a great idea seriously clear off a table lay down a map lay down some minis put down some dice and they will come running so let me get to the metagame question right did did margo ever get to the point where she figured out that you know double digits was pass single digits was fail and as long as she got that pass you know she she basically got the keys to the kingdom so did she ever get to the point where she basically started making like zero sum rolls like when i make this roll i say that superman wins every battle against lex luthor from now on because that would be you know as a kid kind of where my first brain would go is is how do i get to the win condition of this game or was it more just of this is fun story time with daddy yeah, it was fun story time. Um, if anything, I think she had a vested interest in drawing it out because here's her wildest dream, which is one of her parents giving her absolutely undivided attention for her to be able to tell this this game. And, and it was much... The move you're talking about, Mike, would be a very strategic move of if I roll this d20, I win all the time, always. Or Lex, I am going to finish fashioning a kryptonite ring that will ensure that Superman can never, ever harm me again. If I, if I make this, this D20 roll. No, we never got there. We kept it very tactical. Every roll was intuitively for the next few seconds. And if, if she tried anything like that, I'd be like, no, 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 no. You know, rolls are just for the next few seconds. It would take you like five rolls in a row to be able to have enough time to make that ring, knowing that with probability, the odds of making five two-digit rolls in a row are pretty low. So that might be the one caution point with the older kids that, that they may they may start looking for that win condition, right? They may not value it as much as, you know, narrative story time. I think you're wrong because then the game's over. Yeah, that's true too. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I think the kids, the siblings that are the same age effectively are so hyper competitive. They compete over everything. They compete over things you would never think that somebody could compete over. So I think if the thought occurred to them, they probably would start lying, trying to like deus ex machina every uh, turn. Uh, but I don't know that it would occur to them. But once it does, so, the game's over. So here's another game that we played. Margo and I love the game of Trouble. We have different versions of the game of Trouble. You know, you roll a dice, you move your pawn that many times. You can only move a pawn out of your starting zone if you roll a six. Super simple rolls. If you land on someone, you knock them back to their beginning zone. Um, 
we got to where we played Trouble so much that it became boring and we started making our own version. So I have that gaming paper from gamingpaper.com. I would cut a sheet of that. Margo and I would take markers and we would have fun drawing our own maze. We'd make it a super long maze with dead ends and all this kind of stuff. And then we'd get those same miniatures from the My Busy book. I would start them at the beginning of the maze. And here's the game where I helped her get better at arithmetic. Initially, she would roll 2d4, and I would make her add it up, and that's how many spaces she could move, and then I would roll 2d4 and move, and we're racing to the end of the maze. The way I would control difficulty is that I would purposely have my character take a wrong turn in the maze. That way, no matter how she's doing, her luck of rolling, she gets to pull ahead. As she gets better and better at math, I'm leveling us both up to roll 2d6, roll 2d8, roll 2d10, roll 2d12. And then uh, we haven't gotten to roll 2d20 yet because she hasn't gotten into into rule heavy two-digit math yet. But it was a just a, a game where you rolled these two things, you add a number, and then you move that many spaces on this maze. That would be a great game for two players. There's no way to kill each other. There's no way to stop. There's You can control at least that you don't win. Um, the question I would have for you, Brian, is if one won and the other one didn't, which will happen. Are you going to have any sore losers that you got to deal with? Oh, absolutely. So you, you got to figure out how to deal with that. Like maybe make the prizes, you know, hey, the winner gets to watch the next thing on TV, pick out the next show that we watch, and the loser picks out the next one after that. You put a minotaur at the end of the maze and everybody has to group up at the end to fight the minotaur. So you're all winners. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. Okay. That, that, that's a good thought though. Um, dusty on how to approach this. So summing up, Brian, those are the three basic role-playing games that I play with Margo. Um, the first is just the D20 where a two digit number is success. And there's lots of miniatures and maps that we play with. The second one is, is the, the maze game where we draw our own maze and then we roll two die and we add them together and race to the end of the maze. Very similar to trouble except for you only have one pawn and there's no go back to start concept. And then the game that we've more recently play that we're actually, you know, running sessions on and running that Mia campaign in the Mia and me campaign is world of dungeons where you roll the 2d six and you have those ranges of success. So there are other games that I play with Marco, but they are directly out of a box board games. These are the three games that I sort of, and you know, where I invent at least the story and we play role-playing games. So I think lessons learned, uh, first and foremost, if you don't have a Margot who has been exposed to RPGs her entire life, uh, just automatically play off of their love of playing and pretend. I mean, literally, you're just pretending just like they do all day, every day, except you're doing it uh, in a little more guided fashion with some dice. So I think that I think that makes perfect sense. Um, another lesson learned would be to start off with a simple system. Uh, the simpler, to, the better to begin with. Uh, you don't want to overcomplicate it and potentially sour their experience. And uh, as you uh, have a higher comfort level with uh, their potential to play something more complex, if you want to expand out, and you don't have to, uh, you know, find something that is more amenable to um, a childlike. Uh, ability to plan and reason. So uh, th right now, again, you're playing World of Dungeon, which makes a lot of sense. 
Um, any other lessons we've learned about playing with kids? No, the only thing I would point out is that there are other games specifically meant for kids, you know, hero kids. Um, that comes to the top of my mind. There, there are others. As you get them engaged, let's keep talking about it and not keep throwing other recommendations at you. That's great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to something I can do with the kids besides, you know, yelling at them when, they, when they're too loud and or they make a mess. So You're such an old man. I know, right? Well, that's RPG Lessons Learned. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you.